Mr. Connor is a registered representative and managing principal with Connor Wealth Management. Securities offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, member FINRA, SIPC. Opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, its guests, and callers, and not those of WLDL, its management, staff, or sponsors. Nothing contained in this program should be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell a security, and if applicable, only after the prospectus has been read and understood by the customer. These decisions can only be made after consideration of an investor's investment objective and the investment suitability. All right. Good morning, everybody. Today is Friday, March 31st. And you are listening to Ask the Pro. We have in studio guests this morning is Mr. Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management, talking all things finances. His office is located at 5860 Snyder Drive here in Lockport. And if you would like to get a consultation with him, you can always call 439 1143. 439-1143. So good morning, Mr. Connor. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm good. All right. I'm good. And I'm not late at all today. It's a good thing you're not late because the news was early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it and it jokingly would say, it is not a slow news day. No, it is not. It's just it just ended a little bit earlier than usual. So that's fine. Yeah, yeah. It gives us a couple extra minutes to chat this morning. And, of course, we're talking all things finance, so if you have any questions or want to join the conversation, feel free to call us here at the station and join in at 433-1433. That's 433-1433 in the 716. Wow. That's, that's a little extra new radio voice right there. Yeah, well, I figured I'd put on my extra good radio voice for that, That's like uh, <laughs> 1980s overnight voice right oh, there. Oh, those guys were something, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, talking about aliens or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember who the, the nationwide syndicated guy was back then, but this he This is George Norrie, and you are listening to Overnight Live yeah, from man. somewhere in the middle of the desert in Montana. Is that where it was? I was going to say, I was going to say, like, New Mexico yeah, or somewhere something. Yeah, I don't yeah, know where yeah. it was, yeah. He, he would have the craziest stuff, but... Yeah, they still play reruns of that... When I, it's timeless. Might as well. Yeah, it's the same crap over and over. <laughs> I mean, it's timeless. You're right. <laughs> right. A lot of times, you know, I, I'm a working musician, so I'm driving home from a gig at, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning. And so what's on the radio? But George Norrie. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, you could just pick a random show from decades ago and it would be just as relevant today because, you know, sure. it's like, hey, I was looking up in the sky and I saw such and such. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. It's no, or what just, year, what decade. Just no. the story, yeah. It's the yeah. same story. Oh, boy. Speaking well, of the same story. I was going to say, that's not quite <laughs> what we have in in uh, the world of finance and investments and uh, Wall Street. But, you know, the uh, the old expression, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. Okay. And... and uh, you know, we get a lot of that in the market, and um, even it, listening to the the Fox News update, right? They give they give the quick snapshot of the market, right? And they give the quick snapshot of the price of oil, and I sort of chuckle to myself because um, within the week, uh, price of oil's gone up a little, um, maybe three bucks during the week, give or take a little bit. And I just sort of shrug my shoulders and go, yeah, well, it's the end of March. We're going to start hearing about the summer driving season. We're going to start hearing about uh, the refiners changing over to the summer blend as it gets warmer. And 
sort of like clockwork, we're going to have a little bit of increase in the price of oil because the demand will go up and the refinery change affects things. Yep. And then we'll hear, and you know, not that it isn't real, but we'll hear the grumble that the price of gas has gone up a little bit. I think uh, I think the Fox update was ten cents in the last month or fifteen cents in the last month. But you know, like that's that's how summertime pricing. Even though you couldn't tell any kind of summertime forecast with what the weather looks like right this moment um you know that's that is just how the summertime oil slash gas pricing happens is that you get a little bit of an increase and it doesn't really mean anything much at all in the big scheme of things right we we spend a few more bucks out of our pocket but it doesn't mean anything fundamental to uh, the oil and gas industry to speak of. so Right, summer supply and demand, right? And, and of course, the summer plant actually costs less to uh, produce, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's right. Um, uh, but there's the funny aspect of the downtime and the changeover for right. the refinery. Sure, that costs money. And, yeah, so they're always going to sort of roll that into the equation of saying, yeah, well, you know, what we're producing uh, for that, I don't even know how long they produce, let's say it's for just six straight months. Uh, sure, we we have a, a, a reasonably lower cost to do that uh, in terms of some of the uh, ingredients that go into it beyond just uh, cracking crude oil. But there's the downtime and the changeover and, and you know, so you, you just get into it. But, yeah, in reality, it's just the supply uh, – sorry, the demand changes and more people drive in the summertime, right? Whether it's uh, uh, summer vacation trips or just that you're not closed up in your house because of crummy weather and you drive more. So uh, the demand just simply makes it be that there's a few more cents per gallon – in any year, and some years it's more than a few cents a gallon. Right. Well, I think uh, some of the predictors I've read say that you know people are not going to be traveling as much this summer just because of the other inflationary factors. I don't know if that's true or not. So we'll find out. Uh, I, you know, it's interesting because the one the one way I usually uh, see some of the information sort of trickle through, what you often will have is people will trade airplane vacations for driving destinations and that will often be how they trade down from a cost standpoint right so rather than get on an airplane as a family they will instead pick somewhere closer and drive to it and and a great example um sort of like within a family situation is like instead of flying to disney uh say someone around here instead of flying to disney you drive to cedar point so you right. still get the you still get the full scale amusement park experience. It's not quite Disneyland or Disney World, but you've got your roller coasters and your enjoyment in that way. So uh, it, it, it it's interesting how those trade offs sometimes play out. It's not always what you might think. Sometimes uh, um, the driving is still there, and actually the trade off is on the airline side of things or camping versus a hotel or or what have you so um right i i hopefully we've got some of uh some of the loyal listeners on the air uh i am a week early because next week 
is Good Friday. Right. And the market is closed. And while I love doing the show, boy, it would be awfully hard to just come in and talk on a day when the market isn't actually open. Yeah. uh, Because it's sort of like you'd be doing a weekly recap but with no new current news. So this is a fifth Friday in the month. And uh, so we did a little switching around and unfortunately didn't have it planned out when I was here two weeks ago to really make an announcement. So, Well, we've been talking about it the last little bit. So, uh, Yes, I was going to say, so thank you for for all the the press that you put in on my behalf saying that I was going to be here uh, today as opposed to next week. So um, great that I'm here. Market's up. We're finishing out the first quarter of the year. Um, I saw some statistics this morning on CNBC saying that the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100, uh, which would be just simply the 100 biggest stocks in the NASDAQ, they are both finishing out at this point. Heaven only knows what happens over the next six, uh, four, five and a half hours, sorry, uh, until we get to four o'clock. But they're on pace to have their best quarter in basically three years, just short of three years. Ain't like, that something? Like we talk about, Eric, we wouldn't have predicted it. If you and I were just sitting here in December, no, when, you know, the end of the year, not great. Wasn't great. Wasn't a good 2022. Didn't feel good at Christmas time. Neither one of us, if we should maybe start doing this sort of thing, neither one of us would have made predictions that the next three months were going to be fantastic uh, on a relative basis, fantastic information by the time we got to the end of March. So uh, I don't know what the numbers are uh, off the top of my head. Uh, I, I, I will say broadly, I think the NASDAQ is up something like 13 or 14 percent since the beginning of the year. Again, it, it's why we often want to just be – we want to be diversified. We want to try to not time the market because this is another great example of just sort of shrugging your shoulders and going, you wouldn't have thought this three months ago. And yeah. so you sometimes you just got to be in it, in the market, so that you can grab those returns as they come because it's not like there's just a – bell ringing that tells you now's the time to go back in right so it's been a bumpy ride right there's no there's no denying it and this month got really interesting really quickly with bank uh troubles uh local sorry luckily nothing that was local to us uh, has had any trouble and and I think we can safely say at this point that we are not looking at any cascading situation from bank to bank to bank to bank. So I think we're left with kind of what I was talking about with clients and I might have mentioned it here on the air. We're probably just simply looking at a situation where banks will make an adjustment. It'll raise their costs a little bit because they'll probably be a little more cautious about how they're balancing out their liabilities with the deposit base. And they sort of have a fundamental mismatch where they've got a lot of deposits that aren't that they're not paying a lot of interest on. And people now have quite a good amount of freedom with their money. I'm seeing it in in cash flow into certain accounts that we have for clients where clients are, you know, just saying, well, I'm not I'm not getting 
the interest in my bank account or my money market account or my CD. uh, And then they check with me and I I talk to them about the numbers that we have uh, currently available. And they're like, well, that's a lot better. Why is it better? And I'm like, well, it's a different scenario. You know, you're not you're not captive if uh, if you sort of think of a local institution that doesn't have a lot of concern about you moving your money away, they're not always going to offer you the best rates. It's not going to be the most competitive market. So broad statement on the bank side, they might have a little challenge maintaining their profit margins. And so they might actually have a, oh, call it six to 12 month period of a little uh, turmoil. And so some of the banks are going to look really, really cheap on a price to earnings basis. But it might turn out that they actually make less money over the next few periods, uh, quarters, I should say. Right. So and they... and so that P.E. ratio, the price to earnings ratio might be what I usually say is it might be a bit of a mirage because if they're at six or eight times earnings today and a year from now because of higher costs, maybe they're going to go to 10 or 11 or 12 times earnings. That's a fine ratio. But it's not as cheap as if they're at six times earnings today, right? right. So they, it's just something to sort of mention and look out for. Um, I think there's a medium amount of risk that some of the banks that currently are going to show a really high or elevated dividend yield, I think you've got some medium level risk that some of them are going to cut their dividends. Uh, again, as a poor, as sort of a damage control about what's happened, and so you just need to be aware of that. If you've got a, um, let's, uh, I won't throw any companies under the bus, but you've got some banks that are sitting there right now because of declines in March, where their yield might be showing a six percent or six and a quarter or something like that, and it's a, the bank is, you know, let's use air quotes and say they're fine. But they're not inclined to sit there and pay a 6% dividend yield. So I would say those banks will probably give it a little bit of time, see if their share price recovers uh, over a one or two or three month period. But if it doesn't recover, they very much might say, well, we're going we're gonna to take our dividend a little bit lower, put it into the more like 4% range. And let time go by and let's see, you know, let's see if we make a few more bucks. Let's see if the stock goes up. And when you get 12 or 18 months down the line, maybe they boost it back up at that time because the the share price has recovered a little bit. And again, that's a case-by-case scenario. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, but it's something to think about. Again, if you're you're holding a bank stock and it's yielding something at 6% or above – just know they're not going to keep that at that level forever. And so if their share price isn't coming back, if, as their share price goes up, that yield would drop. Um, if their share price isn't going to be going up, they, they're they at, at a little bit of risk for cutting that dividend. So right. just to sort of have that as a little yellow caution. Um, again, it's not necessarily a reflection on the bank's business per se. But it's just sort of the economics of being a publicly traded company. Right. And then the, the sinister side of me kind of leans towards a never let a good crisis go to waste. Well, that's uh, – yeah, that's the, the, the old politician's 
uh, right. uh, Rahm Emanuel, I believe, was the uh, the quotation. He on he was one, yeah. That that definitely was a believer in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll see what what really comes of it. You know, the Congress is so uh, evenly split that any piece of legislation that comes through will very much have to be bipartisan Good. to get support. And if you look back over a long period of time, when it comes to financial legislation, and I suppose I would say tax legislation, but that's not quite the same in my uh, memory, um, when you look at the real legislation that gets passed over a long period of time as it relates to finances, the bipartisan legislation is generally the only one that has a real uh, history or track record of being successful for m- balancing out both what is needed on the corporate side and for what ends up being good for the consumer. Um, if, if you've got parties, if you've got both parties supporting it enough to pass it, uh, it generally reflects the idea that it's middle of the road enough to to sort of hit that fine line of we need to make some changes. We need to uh, reduce some risk in the system or or increase some oversight or whatever the case might be. Uh, and that it's not so wild that you lose support uh, from one party or the other. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, the, none of this is the consumer's fault. We didn't do anything. Me as an investor... I put my money in and watched it go down and watched it come back up, watched it go back down. I didn't I didn't participate in any of this fiasco, nor did you. Yeah. And yeah. and so me, the citizen, Joe Citizen, Joe Taxpayer, Joe homeowner, Joe guy that has a small investment portfolio, is scratching his head saying, Okay, well, when and whom is going to look out for my best interest as a citizen and as a you know, as an investor and as a taxpayer, it's so I, I kind of like the idea of the bipartisan uh, things going on because it will at least balance balance things out. It's not going to be extremely on one aisle or the other. Correct, correct. And, and I think that's a good thing. You know, we need balance. Yeah, that's the thing. If you've got legislation where you've got support from both sides of the aisle, it again, it's clearly down the middle enough that no one's willing to sabotage it and not vote for it. Right. And 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 that's sort of the ultimate measure of um I don't know quite the right way to say it, but it's a, kind of the ultimate measure of saying it's it's doing the most good, you know, like sort of fitting into the middle uh of of what the target is cuz you know, extremes on both sides get you in trouble, especially with legislation. So if you're trying to create rules or regulations that protect the vast majority of consumers, it probably needs to be somewhere in the middle from a common sense perspective. Agreed. Yeah. Hey, it's coming on it's after 1030. So, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Ask the Pro here on WLVL 1340 AM and at WLVL.com streaming live. If you've missed any of these programs, just go to WLVL.com, hit the podcast button, bring up the program that you have missed, and you can listen to them all in their entirety. So if you are just just picked up uh, these uh 
programs with uh, Mr. Connor, there are many others that you can listen to and get caught up on the philosophies and principles that he uses to help manage wealth. Now, if you would like to get in on this conversation with us this morning, your your input is certainly welcome. All you have to do is give us a call at 433-1433. Now, Mr. Connor owns Connor Wealth Management, and that is located at 5860 Snyder Drive here in Lockport. And you can have a consultation with him privately just by calling 439-1143. That's 439-1143 for Connor Wealth Management. And again, to get here on the radio station and join our conversation, have a cup of coffee with us and chew the fat, 433-1433. Okay, so I got a real quick thing happened the other day. Yeah. A, 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 a family member, a friend, I'll say a friend. Um, is a member of a credit union, and they got a notification from the credit union, local credit union, that said that their ATM withdrawals are going to be, the amount they can take out is lowered per day, and their credit limit has been also lowered, and they have like a double A credit rating. I don't understand. Is that is that have anything to do with the overall bank health, or is that just a fluke in the... Eight in the in the credit union world. Uh, my gut reaction would be that the two things are probably a little unrelated, right? So uh, a cash withdrawal sounds like it's more of like just an operational issue for the credit union, right? If You're just running low on cash. <laughs> No, 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 but it might be a limitation in the machinery that's being used or it might be a problem with how quickly they can reload the ATM uh, if it's a remote location. Right. Uh, they might have a delivery problem of new cash because, you know, if you just think of seeing an ATM at a bar, restaurant, hotel, uh, ice rink, uh, supermarket, wherever – you know, it's not like a guy is just walking in with a bag full of money and right. filling it up. Like there is an actual process. Yeah. There's a whole lot of paperwork. Um, Big you've, trucks, guns. Trucks, dudes. multiple people, yes. right? And I will say, hey, like we've communicated on this show, maybe there's actually a uh, staffing issue as it relates to – the cash loading process for the ATM machine and in the short term, maybe one of their ideas is that, well, if we limit the amount of money that someone can take out at one time uh, on a per user basis, right. the cash in the actual ATM will last a little longer. Sure. So I would say without knowing any other details, mm -hmm. I would say that's – one of the sort of scenarios that might come up is they might have some sort of operational issue uh, simply loading cash or maybe with the software or something like that. In regards to the credit limit, which would not have anything to do with actual cash in an account because you don't have a – that's not – a credit limit is about taking on debt where you don't have the cash. Uh, that would be just simply a risk control mechanism of some sort at an institution doesn't matter if it's a credit union or a bank or wherever um and that could come up for various reasons um they might have an annual review for clients 
uh, that simply flagged them as having some reason to lower the dollar amount. Uh, it could be some sort of hit or um, red flag in a credit report that like buzzed in the system, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that simply comes down to the institution saying, in essence, we're going to protect our risk level by lowering the amount of potential credit you take out with us. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always make sense to people when that happens because they might sit there and think, well, I didn't do anything differently. Like I haven't right. I haven't missed a payment or I haven't um, – I haven't defaulted on a loan or, or something like that. Uh, and I would simply say there is a lot that goes into it on, on an institution's perspective. And so it might not actually reflect anything that that person did. The institution might simply be saying we've got this unfilled potential of credit and we just want to shrink that unfilled potential a little bit. So they're just changing the parameters of the correct, game. correct, and that, that again, that's me saying that makes sense though. If they didn't have any other event, that might be the mm-hmm. that might be what's happening, right? The right. just simple uh, call it risk mitigation. Sure, you know if if a credit union or a bank is sort of sitting there and saying, well, like we've got, I'll make really big numbers for a second. We've got a hundred million dollars of potential credit use. And we really only think on, you know, law of large numbers being able to generate some estimates. We realistically only think that number should be $90 million. Well, they got to reduce it somehow. And it doesn't always mean that you were a problem, but it's just simply that you're in that entire population that they're trying to reduce that overall available amount of credit. So saying it like that also means... If you haven't done anything wrong, you also could probably just go replace that credit somewhere else. Right. Right. If you really, if you personally think you need that limit for whatever reason, you can probably replace it just at another institution. If it's simply a risk mitigation standpoint, they might have a fancier term. I'm not in the banking industry. But that's that's certainly a possibility of how, how they're just sort of saying, mm, as a total company, we just want to reduce our risk profile and sort of everyone's going to get a little bit chopped off their credit limit. It, it's it's reasonable that they would behave like that. Sure, right. you know, I would say on if you just think for what the average person might see, jokingly, credit card companies in good times will sit there and all like just magically tell you like, hey, we expanded your credit limit. You know, we expanded the amount you can pay on you can charge on your credit card. You might sit there and shake your head and be like, well, I didn't ask you to do that. Why you know why you why are you sending me that notice? Um, but the reverse doesn't usually happen, right? The the bank that has your credit card does not usually just send out a notice that says, "Hey, we're chopping your credit limit from ten grand down to seven grand." Hope that doesn't hurt you. You yeah. know, doesn't happen too often. Right. But um, 
I, I suppose if you dig down into the wording of their agreement, they probably have the authority to do that. I'm sure we signed the authority of everything away with that, all those little words we don't read. Yeah, all those uh, sort of open-ended, I use it when I want to use it. There's probably language just like they could, if you haven't used it, they can close it on you even though you didn't ask them to close it. Right. Um, they've probably got a lot of flexibility. Absolutely. That's why would, right. Why would they use their resources to maintain an account that's not in use? Correct. It's, that costs them money. Correct. For anyone, and and take away the credit card for a second, for anyone who has a uh, home equity line of credit at a bank that you have open but don't use, you will know that most of them, uh, if you maintain a zero balance, most of them will levy a fee annually just to sort of ring a bell and, and right. say, like, do you still really want this? We're going to charge you 100 bucks a year whether you use it or not. Right, and that sort of motivates you to either a use it or b close, close it. it. Right, right. And some people will say, "Well, no, I'll gladly pay you the hundred bucks a year to keep it, even though I'm not using it." Just, right, just in case. Yeah, just in case. Right, and uh, but th- to your point, the bank or credit union uh, with a line of credit, they don't want it to just be open forever. They're not uh, a home equity line of credit is based on analyzing your home well if you opened it and 10 years later you've never used it once that bank isn't coming back out to reanalyze the credit on your home right you know they're not they're not valuing it every year they don't know if you've torn half the building down or <laughs> or whatever right. so yeah they they want to limit their risk in that perspective over time as well so um one thing, uh, and I was pleasantly surprised, we have a little bit of inflation news to be able to talk about today. Mm. Um, so I'll touch on that real quick because I think the market likes it. And I will sort of preface it all by saying it's kind of falling into place the way I've been talking about it over the last few months, which is that the numbers are coming down a bit simply because the year-over-year comparisons aren't quite as hard. Um, so what came out today is known as the personal consumption expenditure price index. So it's not quite the same as the consumer price index, but the behavior is usually the same. And, uh, so what we saw is that it was the, the increase was a little below expectations, which I guess I would say I'm not too surprised because sometimes the expectations are just sort of pulled out of thin air. Uh, and it just becomes a guessing game with a whole bunch of economists working on a number that they're guessing at. But what it leaves us with is that on a 12-month basis, the core personal consumption expenditure index increased at a 4.6% rate. The month prior was that it was increasing at a 4.7% rate. So we're decreasing. We're decreasing year over year. Which again, that's sort of that's basically what I have been saying would happen as those year over year numbers got tougher. And the second part that's in here that is still interesting is that income was still increasing at a pretty good clip. Uh, and I don't have it right in front of me on the computer. I think it was 0.3%, which works out to a 3.6% year over year increase. So when you think of that core number being 4.6% year over year 
And if income was at 3.6%, that's pretty good. You can see that the income growth was most of that, uh, uh, most of what was in there. Uh, so that's that's all right. We're, we're doing okay. Um, energy prices decreased. Food prices rose a little. Goods and services increased a little. Um, I don't know. I see egg prices coming down, so I guess the... The egg crisis of 2022 has eased up as we've moved into 2023. We've got some uh, healthier hens laying eggs or something. Right. Uh, so good news on the, the egg front. Um, but the inflation numbers, they do matter uh, because ultimately that's what ends up driving Federal Reserve decisions. Right. And the, the Fed raised 25 basis points the last time. They certainly are using language currently that says, hey, we're going to keep watching the data. And if the data keeps looking semi-bad, we're going to keep raising rates. But I will I'll kind of say I'd be surprised here in this moment. I think I'd be surprised if they raise at the next one, at the next Fed meeting, which is uh, I think set up for second week of May. Forgive me right. if I'm wrong on that. I think it's the second week. Yeah, he's got to give somewhere. Um, I, I think there's an in the moment. I think there's enough concern about the banking system and that the numbers are coming down that I think they might pause. Uh, if they don't, it's probably just set up to be another quarter point increase. Uh, I think there's nothing that we're seeing that would tell you. Um, that 75 or 50 basis points are out there. There is a very strong belief that within just a few months that the Fed will be at the stage where they have to cut because of weakness in the economy. Um, this show could be 45 minutes of me just making predictions, but <laughs> uh, I, would, I, I don't know how worried I'd be about any decision I make today on trying to figure out when the Fed might have to cut in the future. Right. So that's not me predicting when a cut will happen in the future. That's me saying, I don't think that's worth much mental energy trying to figure that out. Maybe if you're going and contemplating a CD or T-bill purchase and you're trying to decide how far – um, into the future you want that maturity to be, how long you'd be tying up that money, um, I suppose then you'd be more concerned with guessing at at maturity, am I going to be at the same interest rate or a higher interest rate or a lower interest rate? Ultimately, you'd probably rather not have a lower interest rate when you end up at maturity. So, you know, if your big concern is that off into the future the Fed's going to cut, well, then you probably would want your maturity to be reasonably short, whether it's six months or seven months or nine months, something like that. But again, I wouldn't spend a lot of mental energy worrying about exactly how the economy plays out and exactly when the Fed might be cutting, right? You can just make a big broad statement that says, yeah, someday a recession's going to happen. And when that recession happens, the Fed will be cutting some interest rates at that point. People have been calling for a recession for the last 12 months. And 
still isn't here. The job market's held up this whole stretch of time through all these interest rate increases, which I will say I'm pretty impressed with. I'm pretty impressed with how uh, the American business owner, because at the end of the day, it's not Amazon laying off 20,000 workers. It's, it's the smaller business owner still looking to hire. I'm pretty impressed with how much the the smaller business owners still trying to hire and round out their staff and fill in the gaps and uh, you know some of them are outright looking for real growth but but those job openings are legit for an awful lot of businesses and and you know I've used statements on the air of saying I've got clients that are in manufacturing and and travel tourism and restaurants and um home remodeling of various types and every one of them would still love to hire a qualified candidate today every single one of them i don't know any of my business owners that are looking to cut back and remove staff like to reduce headcount Every one of them is still dying to hire a skilled worker right now. Where are we going to get some skilled workers? That's an issue. You know, we're not having kids going into the trades as much as they used to. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of kids that are really financially savvy that are making out okay living in mom's basement. Yeah. Well, you've got you've got a whole lot that goes into it. I mean, when I say skilled, I just mean people with base right base skills right, right. like Leading like, like just someone yeah. who's willing to act as a competent server in a restaurant is not uh i've got multiple owners that they 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 have those openings and they've had them mm-hmm. you know they just can't find someone that's willing and able to do it where are you going to find them i don't know i you know my opinion uh is different than someone else's i would say you need within the country I would say we have the ability to take in a whole lot of legal, skilled immigration to fill a lot of laborer positions. And, you know, we get we get filled up with the illegal immigrant conversation to a huge extent. But the fact remains, legal immigration is a fantastic historical way for us to fill gaps in the employment roles around this country, whether it's landscapers or in meatpacking factories or wherever uh, around this country. So I don't know. I think we're suffering from a pandemic changeover that probably does take a long time to work out. And what I mean is you had a lot of people – whenever you get a jolt into an economy, what it always ends up doing is you have people at an above average rate leave the workforce that are near retirement. And so I'll use the category of age 55 and up. Mm-hmm. What you have over and over and over in our history is when an economic jolt happens, a category of worker – basically sort of throws up their hand and says, I've had enough. I'm going to go into retirement, even if it's a year early or two years earlier right. than I suspected. And it's, you know, sort of a, use a phrase, it's a victim of circumstance. Right. That, That's what we saw that, with the great resignation. Yeah. Yeah. So it happened in 08, 09, right? Like that, 
that housing bust at that time, think of how long the, the ramification is on that. You had a whole housing generation of roofers, carpenters, plumbers, and electricians walk away from that job. Or again, around the country. This isn't me just talking about here. And where do you replace those people? Well, 13 years later, you kind of find out you don't. And so we're still not building enough homes in this country, brand new homes, right. home construction. We still do not have the capacity to come and build enough new homes because, as you said, there are not enough young ones going into the trades. And so the economics have changed. And you see it in the stock market all the time. You look at the behavior of uh, these industrial companies that are built around these industries. And you can sort of see what an interesting world it's become. Home Depot and and Lowe's have had a pretty great long-term track record. And it's based on home remodeling. And it's partially affected because there isn't enough home construction. And yet you've got other industrial manufacturers like uh, it wasn't until a few years ago that uh, I knew uh, A.O. Smith is publicly traded. I know that name because that's like the hot water tank I have in my basement. And, uh, you know, you look at all of those sorts of companies that are making those products um, and they've been impacted as well by, by the lack of manpower and what's it meant to their sales over the years. So, um, I don't know, figure out government training programs, get the kids into BOCES programs. Um, I don't know, it's a long it's a long tail problem uh, that doesn't have a great solution because if you think of someone trying to get into skilled trades, it's not just a college course. It is an apprenticeship program. It takes a while to become qualified to be a plumber and electrician and a framer and a fine tradesman. Um, and that's a bit of the challenge for a lot of the younger uh, Americans that they, they don't really want uh, that long, drawn-out process to where they're finally considered uh, skilled enough to go on their own. And I don't have an answer for it. I mean, you know, it's not really the focus of the show either. But no. uh, I I'd love to find it. It, it. No one's quite found the magic bullet. They know that tra- some training programs really do work. Um, but it's always on small scales, right? So locally there's a program uh, to try to rev up the quantity of welders because there's a shortage. Um, and I would say that it's relatively successful, but it's you know, on a yearly basis, probably not creating a hundred new welders in this area. You know, how many do you have retiring every year? <laughs> probably 150. Right. Just in the area. Right. So yep. even though that training program is relatively successful, it's still not, it's still not meeting the needs. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, that, that side of the world of where government meets capitalism meets education uh, that is some of the trickiest parts of of uh, decision making and where funding should go and who's responsible, right? The trade unions would love to have more apprentices show up, but you can't force someone into it in America. That's not how 
That's not how we divvy up the labor force. You've got a freedom to, like you said, live in the parents' basement if the parents are going to let you. And uh, if you want to be a TikTok media star, you can do that. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see where those workers come from. Well, it certainly is an interesting as from you know, from a sociological point of view, it's interesting to be a participant observer. Yeah, and I'll just say I've got a child who's graduating uh, college this year with a bachelor degree, and I have a child who's graduating high school. And it's really interesting to talk to them about, but not only their thoughts, but also their friends, to sort of see. The, the wandering decision right. of either what their career path might look like or where their college path might take them. Mm-hmm. And I will say they're as, they're as challenged as, uh, as us adults talking about it. Those kids are as challenged about making those decisions as well. They try to get information. They don't really feel like they're getting enough information at times. Um, they might be searching for, well, I'd like to end up here, you know, five years down the road. And it's a little murky at times for what field of study they should go into, or if they go into a certain field, can they get to that spot that they're hopeful of? Um, so I think a lot of, a lot of the young people are, are really challenged about the decision making they're getting. And of course they hear lots of opinions from family and, um, and other adults, I suppose I would just say, and and it's it's really tough for them, you know. It's it's not the life of of many decades ago, where so many kids would walk out in Western New York and they would go to work at an auto factory or a steel mill, sure, or they would go straight into some uh, government position, you make out. a good living, yeah, doing it, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, you had kids that would walk straight out of high school and go to work for Harrison's. Yeah. 18 years old. And when they put in 30 years, they weren't even 50. Right. You know, like that, that is a different, it's a different era. And, um, you know, not that everyone, anyone's living in that old mindset, but um, it is, it's definitely tough for the kids to, to sort of navigate and figure out how, what do they want to do, right? Because over time you realize, what does a 17-year-old really know most of the time about what they want to do with the rest of their life? Not a thing. And then how do you translate that over to every decision that follows, right? It's tough. It's tough. Yep. They got to have have a chance to change their mind a few times. That's right. That's right. Because I know I did. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Eric Conner from Conner Wealth Management here on WLVL 1340 AM, streaming worldwide at WLVL.com. 30 seconds, final thoughts, Mr. Connor. Well, I'm glad we've finished the first quarter of the year successfully uh, in the market. Bond market settled down a little bit. Uh, let's hope we continue throughout the rest of the year. Agreed. We'll see you in... I guess it would be three weeks. Three weeks, yes. the math would work out. All right, well, have a happy Easter then. We'll see you, Thank you. Yeah. See you after the holiday. Take care to everybody. Okay.